Grab your Bibles and turn to me to the book of Genesis, please. The book of Genesis. <coughs> we are going to land in Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15 in the life of Abraham. Things have kind of worked out that way, and that is fantastic. I'd like to look this morning at how much control we really have and how much we ought to give away to other people, how much we ought to give away to God, and look at that through the life of Abraham. Abraham is an interesting case study in control. In some instances, Abraham is very much in control, and in other situations, Abraham very much is willing to give control over to other people, over to God. And we discover that in Genesis chapter 12 right away. Genesis chapter 12, right there is Abraham. Abram is introduced. We discover Abraham in a situation where he cannot be in control. You know the story. We've talked about it several times in the last few weeks. I don't want to read it. I just want to point a few things out about this particular story. And then the, the few other instances, all of the instances we'll look at this morning, have to do with when God spoke to Abraham which happened on a regular basis. And I want to look at what those things were like and how Abraham responded to those. And maybe through that we can learn a little bit about ourselves and when God speaks to us. In Genesis chapter 12, God is speaking to Abraham. And particularly in verses number 4, 5, and 6, we see God, uh, 1 through 5 actually, in this instance, I'm sorry, we see God calling Abraham to leave where he's at. Leave where you're at, he said, and go to a land that I will show you. Now, that's really important because we have to assume from there he had no idea where that land was. Let's just try that one out for size, shall we? Jeff Drake, pack up your house, your household, and move to a land I'll show you. To a job I will give you. Uh, have any idea what you're supposed to do now? Uh, that's about where Abraham was. Maybe renting a U-Haul. However you have, you can't even map quest where you're going yet, can you? The very highways that he would take for Abraham had yet to be shown to him. Now that's giving up a lot of control. That's a lot of trust. That's what we see here with Abraham in this particular response to what God had to say. God called him and said, Hey, leave where you are. Go to a land that I will show you. And I want you to do that right away. So Abraham, it says, packed up his household. Verse number 6. I love the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, God will speak. And then immediately after that, you get one of two things. You either get, and so they did. And it repeats word for word what, was just, what God had just said. Or it says, and they did not. And it repeats word for word with just the negative. They didn't do it. Here you get, and they did exactly that. Packed up where they were. Now, this is really easy for us to talk about. But when I asked Jeff Drake, I wanted to make sure that you understood how difficult this is to do. This is not an easy thing to do. Pack up. It's kind of like being Pastor Paul. Pack up from your house and go to a house that you don't yet have to a place that I might show you. Pastor Paul's in some negotiations about a, about a house. And it's kind of like that. And in the meantime, you're going to live in a house that's not your own. And you're going to use a bed that's not really your own. You're going to put all your stuff in storage. And imagine if you had to live like that. Imagine that, Pastor Paul. Kind of easy to relate to, isn't it? 
at that very moment, you discover some things about yourself and you discover some things about God because as God is giving direction to Abraham, telling him some things to do, some commands to obey, Abraham's response is that exactly. He obeys. Unlike our guest sitting on the front row here next to my wife, who doesn't sound like she's the most obedient type. We sometimes really struggle with obedience when it comes to God. God tells us what to do and we sometimes really struggle to obey what He has told us to do. I've tried this experiment before. I may have done it here. I don't know, but let's just ask parents in the room for just a moment, please. If you told your kids, if they're a little bit older, just put yourself back in that situation. If you told your kids to go clean, your, clean their room and they did not, have they obeyed? Nope, they haven't. If they thought about cleaning their room, have they obeyed? No. If they went into their room and got distracted and started playing, have they cleaned their room? If they took the bed and threw everything under the bed, have they really cleaned their room? So the kids are now chiming in. Yes, we did. That's cleaning. No, that's not exactly what mom and dad had in mind. You get the picture for parents and kids. Now the same thing holds true with us and God. When God tells us to do something and we don't really do it, but kind of do it or kind of think about doing it, we have not yet obeyed. And our response to God's command is supposed to be obedience. When God tells us to do something, we ought to obey that command. And by obeying God's commands to us, we really are demonstrating that we are exalting Him, putting Him in a high place in our lives. We are advancing what He wants to do in our lives, and by advancing His will in our lives, we are giving Him ultimate glory and exalting Him for who He is and for what He's done. And only by doing what He says to do are we really exalting Him. So half of an obedience, if Abraham had just left his home, gone to a place of Abraham's own choosing and stopped where Abraham wanted to stop, that's not exactly what God had in mind. Sometimes we really struggle to obey fully and completely. Our own ideas, our own will, our own desires get in the way and those things become hang-ups for us. But the real issue ought to be God's glory and God's pleasure. We bring pleasure to God by doing that. By obeying Him, we really do that. Sometimes my own pleasures get in the way. And I want to do things, and I want to do things my way, and so I set out and do that, and I do part of what he said, and part of what I wanted to do, and the end result is not always very good with that. I really can sympathize with that. I wanted to preach a different sermon this morning. But God had something very specific in mind, and known for some time now that I was going to be speaking this morning, and so I've had a long time to argue with God. And I made a few suggestions, and God made one, and I made a few more, and God made one, and I made a few more, and God still made one suggestion. What He had for us. That happens in our lives on, I believe it happens for us all the time. That God has something specific, and we want it to be broader, and so we rationalize that, we think it through, we argue it through with God, and God says, no, I only had one thing for you. Here's what I want you to do. And we say, but God, I can do that by doing this other thing. And God says, I didn't have that for you. I had one thing for you. I want you to go do that. And Abraham, in this instance, Abraham exalted Jesus by obeying his direction. And you can do that as well. When he gives you specific directions, exalt Jesus by obeying those directions. The story of Abraham goes on. 
don't intend to rehearse the entire story. We've done that in recent weeks. However, we do know that in chapter 13, another promise comes and God speaks again. This time the setting's just a little bit different. It has to do with land and uh, Abraham's nephew Lot had been living there with Abraham, but there were a lot of people there, a lot of servants, a lot of livestock, and the land couldn't really handle it. And so they decided that they would split. And Lot went one way and Abraham stayed where they were and moved just a little bit in a different direction. And then God spoke to Abraham about the land where he was at. And told him, look around you in all of the land that you are seeing. Verses 14 through 17 of Genesis chapter 13. God speaks to Abraham and tells him about the land and says, I'm going to give the land that you see to you. First, I want to notice how much land that had to have been. From the nation of Israel, it's very hilly. And if you go up on top of a hill, you could sometimes see a long ways. In some places, the nation of Israel, if you go up on top of a mountain, you can see 20 miles off in the distance. It's, you can see quite a little ways. He clearly saw a lot of land. And if he looked in all different directions, he saw a lot. And God was showing him all these things. Now, I want you to notice after verse 17, what Abraham, how he responds to this. Because he doesn't do anything. There's nothing there to do. God didn't say, go do anything. It was a promise that God was giving him. He said, I will give you the land. And he doesn't tie that to anything. He doesn't say, go possess it. He doesn't say, go conquer it. He doesn't say, go kick people out of it. And Abraham doesn't make the mistake of rushing ahead. I just wonder how many times I have rushed ahead, having heard the promise of God and thought, that's for me. Let's go do it. When there was nothing there to do. All that was there was a promise from God to hang on to and a promise to trust. Now sometimes trust implies that you have other things to do, but sometimes trust is just, you're going to trust that this is, that this is going to happen. A uh, long time ago, my wife and I got engaged. Not uh, March, uh, March 10, 19... 89. The year slipped me for a moment. Uh, March. <laughs> that's rare, isn't it? Yeah, it's usually you. March 10, 1989, we got engaged. We didn't get married until May 4 of 1990. That's a very long time between those 14-month engagement. The day that we, got, that we got engaged, we started to calculate, okay, when can we get married? Within a week or two, it became obvious that we had to extend our engagement longer than what we thought. There was a promise that we were going to get married, but there wasn't a whole lot we could do about that. Reserve the place where that was going to happen. And after that, there was nothing for quite a while. We just couldn't do anything. There was a promise, yes, we're going to get married. Uh, but because of life circumstances, that had to be pushed off for a full year. And so we, in that meantime, uh, those of you who think you have to spend a year planning a wedding, your wedding clearly would be much different than what ours was. It didn't require a year of planning to secure a photographer, a few flowers, and some things like that. It, uh, we managed to do that in about four months. But the rest of that time was simply promise in waiting and nothing happening. I wonder how many times God's promises in our lives are just like that. A promise with nothing really happening. And we are simply trusting and waiting. That is what Abraham did. He waited. And he trusted. He said, someday, God, you clearly are going to fulfill this promise to me. 
Not going to act on it. Not going to do anything about that. Contrast that with what happens in chapter 15. Turn over to chapter 15, if you would, please, because in chapter 15, God speaks again in a rather long conversation. God tells Abraham, hey, you're a great man. And Abraham says, I might be great, but all of the greatness you've given me is going to go to someone else. I don't have a son. And so a conversation happens about whether or not Abraham should have an heir or a son. And God tells him, don't worry about it. I've got this one under control. And Abraham says, don't worry about it. I'm in my 80s and I don't have a son. I think it's about time to start worrying or past time to start worrying. And God says, no. I've got it under control. And Abraham said, well, I'm not so sure about that. And in the pages that follow after that in the story, we discover that in that instance, Abraham wanted to be in control. Why, his wife said, hey, we need a little help on this one. God, he probably doesn't have this one covered. So let's help him out a little bit. Here's my servant and... Uh, so there was another child that was born and, and that was not what God had in mind at all. Because what God had in mind was a specific plan. And Abraham was rushing ahead of God's plan. Instead of embracing a promise that he could trust, he was trying to enforce his own desires and what God had said under his own control. Trying to grab control of the situation because that's what control is really all about, sunshine. Control, you know, it's really weird to preach to a puppet. That's what control is really about. Control is about my own desires and wanting to enforce my own desires on a given situation. So I will be in control of that situation. Think of all of the times in your life when you have tried to be in control. And then stop and ask yourself, wasn't I really trying to enforce my desires? Good desires, perhaps. Things that maybe ought to take place, but your desires, nonetheless. And in that particular moment, that was not the right thing at all. Because his control was being led by doubt. And the more he doubted, the more it fueled his desire to be in control. Control is a sign of fear. When you dwell in fear, it begins to defeat your faith. You have to think of times when you, when you can apply that in your own life and say, it seems to be true. Over years, I've tried to disprove that one idea right there, that, control, that, that fear defeats faith. And I haven't been able to disprove that entirely. A few wrinkles in it, but really, fear and faith do not go together. You have to set aside your fear in order to rise to the level of faith. Wonder, how many ways do you try to control other people? Getting them to do what you want them to do. Getting them to fulfill your own desires. You know, there's a fine line between, say, good parenting and controlling. Those of you whose kids have already grown up, perhaps you can look back and you can see, yeah, there's kind of a fine line there. And the line keeps moving. It doesn't stay the same. There's a different difference when they're five and when they're 17. 17 year old needs a little bit more space. Right, Rachel? Five year olds, you don't give very much space. I don't know that I can necessarily tell you what that means, but I know it when I see it. A parent who is too controlling. Parents who doesn't give their kids enough space to work out their faith. You know, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12 says, To work out your faith in fear and trembling. 
And sometimes I think as parents, we want our kids to serve God so much that we try to maybe become a little too controlling of that and try to control how they do that. And as they get older, we try to control the things that our teenagers do. And uh, I'm not talking about not having boundaries. I think boundaries are a great thing. We have boundaries in our, in our house, right, Ben? Yeah, we have a few boundaries. We have some boundaries. Boundaries aren't the same thing as control. I don't tell my son, yes, you have to sit right next to me in church. He can sit over there if he wants. But we do have some boundaries about that. Some things that he, he has to understand about that. And as long as he does that, and he does, then we're just fine. I think there, we have to come to an understanding about that as, as parents. For if you don't give your kids the space to work out their faith and trust, you actually are undermining their faith. Faith and trust is an essential part of our relationship with God. And if you don't give your kids the space to work out their own faith in fear and trembling, you are depriving them of, their, of a foundation in their relationship with God. And in fact, the very thing you want to have happen, you've taken control of. And when you take control of it, you undermine it ever happening. In fact, you work against what you are trying to accomplish when you take control of those things. It has to be a point in time in which you simply pray. And let God work those things out. Now, since I'm talking about this in the context of parenting for a moment, let me clarify for just a moment or two. I really do believe that when your kids are three, their choices ought to be about that big as to what they can do with God. No, you are going to go to church. No, you are going to be good. You are going to listen. And you are going to participate. And you're not going to throw the toys. And you're not going to, you may have a whole list of those things. As they get a little bit older, they should have learned those habits. And then your list of things probably changes but shrinks a little bit. But the more and more as time goes on, you have to allow them in their relationship with God to work those things out. I don't know that I've ever told my kids, at least since they hit 12, you have to respond to an altar call. That's a God thing. And I would not stop them if they said, you know, I think I want to spend a few days fasting. I mean... You look at Ben and it looks like he probably doesn't need to fast. He's already as skinny as a rail. Yet he comes and says, I'd like to do that as he did one point in time. I, okay, should I be worried about it? It's between him and God. Now, he's not going to fast for three months or anything like that. You probably couldn't go three months. He's a teenage boy. He's going to need his food eventually. <laughs> the point that I am making is that we have to be very careful that we don't take God's role in raising our own kids. That we let God do what God does. And we do what we are supposed to do. And Abraham kind of struggled with that from time to time. Maybe Abraham's struggle should teach us that it is not an easy road to go. That sometimes it's a bit difficult to know exactly where that fine line is. That's why God gave you grandparents. So that when you were kind of clueless, you could ask your own parents and they could, they could tell you what they thought. And I mean, you don't always have to ask. In my case, my parents just volunteer their information to me. And that's okay. I don't mind that. I uh, think they did our right. I probably ought to listen. They've kind of earned the right to be heard in my life on those issues. Other people in the church, if you struggle with those things, ask them. Ask them what they think. Ask them how they've worked that out. Ask them how they've managed those things. And you will then learn a whole lot about how you can allow God to work in, the, in, the, in, in your own kids' lives. 
We have to learn to understand in every area of life what we can control and what we can't control. You can't control what the pitcher's going to do when you're the batter. You can react to it. You can adjust. Adjust was the word, right, Luke? You can adjust to it. But you can't do anything more than adjust to it. We have to adjust to what God wants to do. And so God's voice came to Abraham, and Abraham, one instance, tried to enforce what God had, and that didn't work out so well. In another instance, he tried to embrace God's promises. In another instance, he tried to, he exalted what God wanted by obeying. And in the last instance, in chapter 14, we, just, we notice Abraham doing something different. In chapter 14, there had been a battle. And Abraham was returning from battle. And when he returned from battle, he met the high priest king, Melchizedek. I'm not going to pause to comment on Melchizedek any other to say in this instance and in every instance he is a representative of God. And so Melchizedek prophesied into Abraham's life. It was only a couple of lines in the very next verse, verse 19. We discover in verses 16, 17, and 18 that Melchizedek is prophesying into his life. And in verse 19, notice what Abraham did. He opened up his checkbook and started writing a check. Because his response to God's blessing was to give. He had all of these things. He was returning from battle and he said, I want to give a tenth of what I have here to the Lord. And so he did that at that very moment. Our response to God's blessing in our lives ought to be to give. To enjoy what God has. To delight in God and delight in his blessings. And to do that by giving back to God. We enjoy Jesus by giving giving out of our blessings. Now, our problem with this sometimes is that we see a blessing coming out of abundance and we think, I don't have a lot, so I must not be blessed. And we only equate blessings with winning the lottery or something, if you're opposed to the lottery, a a mysterious check arriving in the mail for a large sum of money. And we think, if I don't have an abundance, if God is not blessing in that way, I'm not blessed. I'd like to, like to encourage you to think about that just slightly differently. If God decided that you would not have a job tomorrow, would you have a job tomorrow? If God decided that the very air you're breathing would be gone, would you stop breathing? If God decided that the car that you were driving was going to just not work, could He do that? He could just blow it up. The very fact that you have these things in your life demonstrates that God's blessing is in your life. Everyone has blessings from God. Not everyone gives out of those blessings. Abraham recognized his blessings and said, I have been blessed and I want to give back to God. Because our response to God speaking into our life out of blessings ought to be to give back to other people. If you believe that someone has spoken into your life and really influenced you, your response ought to be to influence other people and to bless other people. If you believe that God has blessed you financially, your response ought to be to give back to God and to do that in a way that really blesses and enjoys what Jesus has for you. Because our response to God's blessing ought to be enjoyment. Our response to God's promises ought to be trust. Our response to God's word of what we of commanding and, and, and giving us guidance ought to be obedience. That is what God has for us. And that is what He wants for you. He wants for you to hear His voice today and to say, I will do exactly what you have for me, God.
Not I'm going to try to seize control. Not I'm going to go make it happen. God, I'm going to do what you've asked. Not a lot more. Lest that not be what you want. But I'm going to do what you want. I was in a prayer meeting many years ago now. On Saturday evening, the church I was attending at the time had Saturday evening prayer meetings. There would be a handful of us that would meet there. Um, six, eight, never really more than that. Sometimes just two or three of us. And I know exactly the place where I was kneeling to pray that evening and know roughly what time it was. I know that it was in April. I can tell you the year and almost the exact moment and time of day when God came and spoke to me. I was asking God for some specific things and God replied by speaking into my heart something entirely different. He asked me some very specific things and said, here's what I want you to do. He gave me a list of two or three very big and important things in my life of what he wanted me to do. He said, if you'll do these things, I in fact will continue to bless you. And so I set about the work to do those things. One thing had to do with the relationship with the young lady who I was seeing at the time, and God said that you need to end that. Six weeks later, I did. It took me that long to decide that that really had been God. I mean, I knew at the moment that that was God, but you know how these things are. Not perfect by all means. It took me six weeks to decide I was going to do what God wanted me to do, but I did it. Oh, I'm so glad I did. God had specific, other specific things. Told me what college I ought to attend. I'm Again, so glad I did. Boy, I wouldn't have met you if I hadn't gone to that school. God had some very specific things that evening. As I set about the business of doing those things, there was no, there's no doubt in my mind what God had for me. I just knew where He was leading and what He had. Under those moments in your life, perhaps even recently, where you knew that God was leading you in a particular direction, wonder how you're dealing with that. Wonder if you're just jumping on board saying, God, I'll do what you have, or if you're trying to control that situation. If you're stepping in with a little too much you and not quite enough of God. In the life of Abraham, we see Abraham as a lesson in strengthening faith that sometimes was challenged, but overall, he was a giant in doing what God had for him to do. I wonder how, how God, this morning, wants you to respond to His voice. Because our responses to God's voice says a whole lot about who we are and where we're at in life. Would you pray with me?